I mean, I'm just remembering once when, um, <clears throat> before I was, I was here, the Spirit of God fell on Bruce's mom, Ellen, and, um, and she was just, she gets the, the shakes. It's quite funny. <laughs> and uh, Bruce just released her to just go and uh, minister amongst everybody as they were sitting. So I don't know, Marcus, if that witnesses with you, if you want to start, like if God highlights people or you want Marcus to pray for you to put up your hand or you want to wait till the end to see what, how the Spirit of God leads you. We've already had somebody say that we need to have prayer ministry at the end, so it's, it's, that's confirmed. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anyone else? <clears throat> so good. So uh, Friday night and Saturday, uh, the Zur family is full of young athletes and 50-plus and, um, athletes, young at heart athletes. And uh, there's, some, there's some more budding athletes in the family. And uh, Connor and... Desiree both skated, and Desiree opened the show and closed the show, and she did um, a performance of that, which which was her medal-winning performance, and um, and it was awesome. And actually, Bruce isn't here, but Bruce used to look after the ice rink, and Bruce said to me, "Well, the skaters, you always present them with roses. So Desiree, come on up. These are for you." So everybody was praying for you, Desiree, and uh, just, you know, it's got to be nerve-wracking when you're the person, the only person on the ice and performing. And, and I think in her last, her last one, your dad told me you usually have two doubles. Is that right? Two double axles and you did, uh, you did three? Did I get that right? Or it was three and you did four? She added one. Four, okay. Yeah. So she was feeling good. She, she went for it. So thanks for all your prayers. Uh, for Desiree, and we're so proud of you, hun. That's amazing. And Connor was out there. If you were, if you were there, you you would have known what a great show it was. And actually, um, Crystal was up on the light doing the spotlight thing. So it was a total family affair. So it was very very fun. <clears throat> so um, I have a PowerPoint, and uh, and did somebody just go woohoo? That's uh, there's a new one. So let me see if we can get uh, get the ball rolling here. Got my techie hubby back there getting us going. So bless the Lord. All right. Is it working? Oh, oh, oh look, I, I don't, I'm not going to have it on my screen again. Okay. you were here a few years ago you might you might recognize this this picture I don't know if you do screensavers and stuff something that you just look at that brings you joy it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about but I found them and I was like 
you were talking in Romans 1 on Wednesday nights about the witness of God in creation. So here's this ladybug, and like, did he climb on that milkweed and then it blew away? Or like, what happened? And what was the photographer doing that he was able to catch that at that moment? And I just, for me, it's just like a picture of the delight of living in, by, in the spirit. It's like, I don't know. We don't know where the spirit is going to blow us sometimes, right? But sometimes I use the phrase, live lightly. Anyway, I just wanted to show you that because I just thought it was so joyful. And then this guy. There he goes. I, I, just, I just think it's so hilarious. I, so, okay. So if it, we're being weird amongst family, Marcus. I, this, <clears throat> the witness of God in nature is enough for people to know that there is a creator God. And, you know, usually I think of mountains and trees. But this is a rhinoceros beetle, and he's like a big, ugly guy. And I think he's supposed to scare off even birds of prey and other critters. And this little frog, what, like whatever, again, the photographer just catches it at the right moment. But yeehaw, sometimes there's big, ugly dudes in our lives and challenges and things that are, look like, you know, ugly obstacles. And what if? What if we could ride those into the glory of God and see God do something new? I don't know. It's just a, it's, a, it's an attitude shifter for me. And then last one is, uh, oops. You know, I, I love that C.S. Lewis chose a lion to represent Jesus in all the Chronicles of Narnia because it's like in one way I just feel like I could go up and kiss that velvet nose and stroke him. And the other way, you're like, watch out, he might bite your head off, right? So uh, Jesus is, like the lion is the king of the beasts. Jesus is king of kings, lord of lords. But like C.S. Lewis says, he's not a tame lion. So it's really, really interesting that Gore just had this revelation of the holiness of God afresh again. And I think that's super encouraging just in in what God is doing. Um, So this is odd, this I'm like, really, God? Um, bad words of the Bible in a few big words. Um, and you'll see where we're going with this. You, we've been talking about <clears throat> uh, the fish model of discipleship, so gaining freedom in Christ, learning our true identity in Christ, learning to walk by the Spirit of God, and having a heart-focused community. And that's, that's sort of where God has us living right now. And we talked about um, baggage. That this was the we talked about the well that was blocked up by people had dumped stuff in it. We talked about uh, what I call wolves, wounds, lies, vows, and strongholds that God wants to set us free from, so we can walk in freedom. And the bondage represented by the viper that was down the well. And today, I just felt like the Lord wanted to go to some foundational stones because what actually was blocking the well when they got all the trash out was that the foundation stones were cracked and stopped the flow of the Spirit. So the Spirit, Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So this is where, you know, kind of where we're headed overall is Jesus saved us, got us free. We had rivers of living water rolling out of our belly, but life happens and stuff happens. And so in the kingdom, there is equipment and there's a body who can help us to walk in true freedom. 
in our true identity and to help one another and then to go on mission. If you see the rest of that, the fish model, the arrow goes out to the community. We're meant to go to all nations. So uh, I know that's review, but it's good to review. So this morning we actually sang a little bit about some sin. Um, I don't know if you noticed it. Tony would have noticed it. <clears throat> but um, there is no good news without bad news. And like Gord was saying, if you've always been in good news, you might not appreciate how good it is. When we lived in Africa, um, and we lived in literally the below the Sahara Desert in mud huts, and during rainy season, we had very little to eat and uh, millet and peanuts. That was about it. And when we came back, we were in Ontario, and we were invited to a church that met in a hotel that had a buffet. So they rented the room, and because they rented the room, every Sunday they got a buffet. And it was incredible. My children thought they died and gone to heaven already. They had not seen, like literally, if I took a Chadian in there, I would have had to explain what every kind of food was. They'd never seen it before. So the kids are just like, what is this? They couldn't eat enough. We're like, no, 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 three plates, stop. And, <clears throat> and there was this, this incredible smorgasbord. And then to our complete and utter horror, the people who always went to that church were super critical of the meal and they were nitpicking everything and they were like oh this isn't fresh and this isn't this and I'm like oh, <laughs> do you know how most of the world eats this is amazing and so we can do that can happen to us in the spirit that we can get <clears throat> we can get satiated we can get so full of the goodness of God we can just go oh we've got incredible worship and we've got we've got people who love us and support us and walk with us in life and we forget that there's people that don't have what we have and I'm guessing the guys are parked in our parking lot right now would would probably appreciate some of the life that we take for granted and that we know as as normal so um sin we're going to talk about some sin we're going to talk about, <clears throat> has anybody used this word in a sentence this week? Iniquity. No, I can't say you have, right? Probably not. It's, not. it's not a word. But the Bible has these three main words to describe the bad news. So these are the bad words of the Bible that I, I, I think we just need to look at to understand how good the good news is. So sin <clears throat> actually means missing the goal so in the tribe of Benjamin had guys who were really good rock slingers, and they could actually, like, hit a hair. That's how accurate they were. That's what Benjamin was known for. And so if they missed, they missed the goal. The, the rock didn't hit the target. And Marcus would get this with all his discus and everything. Um, and it's, the, it's a Greek word, chata, or the Greek word, hamart, hamartia. And so it, it's missing the goal. So what is the goal in the kingdom of heaven, that's, that's probably what we need to identify is how do we miss the goal? How does God define sin? Iniquity, oh, Joseph running from Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39 is a good example. Joseph says, I cannot sin, I cannot kata against God by, by committing adultery with you. That would be against God, not just myself or you or your husband. So iniquity means being crooked. And it's the Hebrew word avon, not avon, Donna. If you want avon, go see Donna. She's got avon. <clears throat> but it means being crooked. And this is, this is interesting because in Isaiah it says, um, actually I should probably read it, but it's about 
Your iniquities have separated you from God. Let me just bring it up here. Oops, that's not the one. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, your crookedness, has separated you from your God and your sins, your kata, have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely. No one calls for justice. So quite often in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets called the people up on these things and said, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're missing the goal. So God allowed people actually to carry their own avon. And um, that's, that's uh, it's really bad news <laughs> that they carried their own burden of their sin. And if it's interesting, if you think of the Ten Commandments, and, and all this starts, of course, back in the garden where um, Adam is put in a perfect environment and given one instruction, basically. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, too. But then when all of that takes place and he falls and makes that decision to make his wisdom higher than God's wisdom for him, then we have these consequences that get passed on through Adam. But the, in Exodus 20, it says, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We had that image twice this morning of walking through the waters. The first half of the commandments have to do with loving God and honoring God and being in right relationship with God. And the second half of the commandments are about loving people and honoring people because they're made in the image of God. And Jesus said, what are the two greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So when we have crooked even thinking, because Jesus says, even if you look lustfully on someone, it's the same as committing that act, that when we sin against someone, when we have crooked thinking or crooked actions that come out of crooked thinking, we're violating someone who's made in the image of God. And that's why sin is such a big deal to the Lord. And it's interesting that the, the commandments are given to the people in Israel when God is trying to have this incubator of forming the people of God. And he has to couch the terms all in, you shall not, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not lie, you shall not covet. That's a mind thing. You haven't done anything yet, but that's where it starts. And God couches those terms in negative terms. You shall not. Why? Because he's speaking to people who are slaves in their minds. And so God is bringing us into this new freedom where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. So transgression is actually betraying a trust. Um, it's often translated as rebellion. In Hebrew, it's pasha. And the interesting thing is we would say, you rebel against God or you rebelled against someone. But in Hebrew, the idea is you, you broke trust with someone. 
So this, these are the, this is why God sees it as such a big deal. And probably the world has not used any of these terms. They don't know these terms. And even the more common word, sin, has fallen out of our culture because the word God has fallen out of our culture. And only God and Jesus Christ are used as, as swear words. So we are in a culture that is totally void of this concept and does not believe that the Bible is valid and does not believe that what happened in the Garden of Eden happened in the Garden of Eden. And so we are in a time where we need a great spirit of repentance to come upon people because it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by the spirit of God that God is going to bring an awareness of holiness because he's not like us. He's completely other And he knew right from the beginning what his plan was. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world to bring us back to himself. And so betraying trust, um, if you just think of the the network of things that happen when people sin, when there is anger, when when there is adultery, when there's lying, when there's slander, any of those things the cycle of brokenness that gets perpetuated. And in the Ten Commandments, he says, and these things will be visited on third and fourth generations. But a thousand generations will enjoy the blessing of those who walk in my straight paths. Interestingly, that Jesus says, I am the way. That if we walk in him, he is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So all of these, all of these images are very, um, are very important. So uh, here's the big word. So we had bad words, and now here's a big word. Uh, Soteriology means the doctrine of salvation. You don't need to remember that. Uh, Soter from Savior, Logos, the word. But we do need to have one, (laughs) and you do have one. You have a doctrine of salvation, whether or not you know it. But here's where we want to find out if your foundation stones are in the right place. And that when we communicate the gospel to somebody, that we communicate it accurately so that they will understand. And we, of course, we don't all get it at once. There's an entry point. But if there are a lot of people who, for instance, believe that because Christ died, everyone is saved. Okay? That's a, that's a broken foundation stone. We need, we need to understand a few things as we go forward. So is there a heaven and a hell? Everybody hopes that there is a heaven in the world. Um, Not very many people would agree that there's a hell, but the Bible is very clear. It talks more about hell than it does about heaven. And that it's, it's, uh, it's an eternal thing. So it's, it's a, it's a big deal. And, uh, you know, there's lots of folks who say, that's okay. All my buddies will be there and we'll just drink beer, but that's not how it's going to go. Does man need to be saved? See, these are big questions that um, the doctrine of salvation addresses. And what is man saved from? And who or what can save him? So most of the world would probably tell you that they don't need to be saved. They would ask, what do I need to be saved from? And they probably don't believe in a literal hell And so this is where we need. The only Holy Spirit can do these things. But with our speaking and living the truth in front of people, it tenderizes their hearts. It tenderizes their hearts, and it gives Holy Spirit something to work with to to, uh, bring them around to a saving knowledge. So the word saved, and again, we sang this song several times this morning. Some people see this as an archaic word. Oh, you know. 
uh, come into connection with God or, or whatever. Saved is a biblical word. Saved is a biblical word. <laughs> and uh, you are being saved from something. In Acts 16.31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And this is where God is renewing the church, where the church has been a church of, of a place of judgment. And it's not that, <laughs> it's, it's not that there's not right and wrong, but that, that the foundation of the new covenant is grace. One of the foundation stones in that well that keeps the water flowing is grace. We didn't do this ourselves. If you're in Christ, you didn't do it yourself. You partnered with God. But you were saved by the grace of God who put Christ there in your place. So these, I know you know these things, but they are not going to be common in churches in a very short time. They're already, these things are already being challenged because people are not in the word. Thank you, John. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, Mark 16, 16. And belief in baptism followed rapidly upon one another, and that is also going to be restored to the church. It's the whole package is believe, be baptized, be filled with the Spirit, or believe, be filled with the Spirit, and be baptized. There's models of both in the book of Acts. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved, Romans 10. And Romans is the book of theology, right? Romans is the book that explains sin and righteousness. And it starts out grimly. We start with the bad news, so bear with me. Right? We have to have bad news to fully appreciate how incredible the good news is and how utterly unlikely. But God is love and He loves His people. <clears throat> but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed as attested by the law and prophets. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction. And this is usually, the, this is probably the part you memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we cannot match up to who he is in his holiness. So here's, um, this, is, this is something, and I didn't put all the scriptures in to back it, but you can look it up. It's mostly in Romans. Augustine, Augustine, I do that all the time. Augustine in the fourth century was challenged by a monk who, who didn't believe uh, some of the things Augustine was teaching. And so people said, well, why are you writing uh, a doctrine of theology? And he said, because no one challenged Romans until this guy. And so he ended up uh, stating these four stages, and I think it's just helpful to remind ourselves of what's really going on. So in the beginning, in the garden, um, Adam... Man was made perfect, and we're going to see this in more detail, but he was able to sin because he had free will. The next step after Adam fell was man was not able to not sin. And I think it's significant to see it worded that way because that's the state of the world in every nation, 
every people, every tribe, every language. Man is born with this propensity to sin from Adam, and then he perpetuates himself. If you're only born once, you are not able to not sin. But it's going to get better. Don't worry. Man, the third stage is man is able to not sin. Fountain dance there because when you're born again by the Spirit of God, God conquers our sin nature, and that we are born again of the Spirit and we are restored and we learn to walk by the Spirit so we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is very good news. And then the last stage of that process will be that man is not able to sin because the glorification of the saints. For eternity, is that there will be no sin, and God will rule over and reign over that kingdom, and people will not sin. That's very good news. That's the final point, the end point. Okay? So in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, man is made in the image of God, male and female, he made them. And they became spiritual beings. How? Because people say, well, how are they made in the image of God? If God is, Colossians says, God is invisible. Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1. How was man made in the image? He was made a spirit being. He's triunes, body, soul, and spirit, like God, a triune God. Man was made triune. This is unique. He was also given a free will. And this is hugely important because people can choose or choose not to follow his ways. He was given immortality. And I think we forget this, that everyone was given immortality. God alone is the only wise, immortal God, Paul says to Timothy. But he, in, he gave immortality, eternal life, to everyone. Everyone who was born from Adam is an immortal being, and they will live forever, whether reconciled to God and restored and redeemed and accepting the free gift of salvation by faith through grace, or they will live eternally in hell. And that is very bad news. You know, Bill, I had one time I had an experience like you're talking about. I think more people have them than you're, you're, you're recognizing. I'm, I'm sure lots of people are going to come up to you and share some. Once when I was newly saved, I opened my mom's washing machine and all of the clothes, all the wet clothes spun out in the washing machine were the faces of people from all over the world. And God said, and they're so lost. They don't know. They don't know. And I was about to go become a missionary. And um, we, there's, it's always like, renewing our compassion and our passion for the lost, you know, that we would understand that that it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal that people are lost. It's a really big deal that most of our neighbors don't know God. It's forever. God gave us immortality. What an incredible thing. We also started off with complete innocence. Now, if you see what's going on right now with these you know, what the, what the world has, it's not the first time the world has gone to such degradation and perversion, but the things that are happening with children and babies is just astounding, and that parents take their babies and children to see things that are absolutely pornographic is, is the state of the world. Innocence has been lost, 
and, um, and that the church is the hope in all of this, right? The church is the hope. He was also given intelligence. You know, you can have a really smart dog. I hear dolphins are smart. But come on, even the, 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 the dullest tool in the shed of, of people is incredibly intelligent. We're made in the image of God. And that we were given work and responsibility. Adam in the garden was given work and responsibility. And it was not fatiguing to him and it was not burdensome. People are made to work. People restored to fullness and health and vitality love to work because they they would do everything they do for the glory of God. It's in God's strength, in God's presence. And we are built to work we are built to do something. We are built to have purpose. People who do not have purpose are, have no hope and no, no joy. Then sin entered the world, and uh, along with it came a whole gang of ugly things. Death, shame, fear, and refusal to accept responsibility due to the self-righteousness that's, that rose up in them by sin so Adam and Eve, Eve listens to the serpent and eats the fruit, believes the lie, didn't exalt God to his proper place, though they walked and talked with God in the garden all the time. And she had that improper thought that, oh, maybe God isn't so good. Maybe he doesn't want us to have all the fun and all the good, good stuff. And maybe if I eat this, then my eyes will be opened and I will be like God and God had already made her like him. She was made in his image. And so thinking rightly about God is super important, and that we exalt God to the place of honor and glory and thanksgiving. Romans 1 says the people who are not awakened to what God is doing in the world did not honor him or give him thanks, which means the people who are of God live in a place where we honor God and glorify him and give him thanks. And we don't play the blame game. So these things came into the world. We see them all around us. And we already know what the answer to this problem is. Um, All generations inherited sin after the fall. We're no longer free. Mankind has free will, but they're actually not free, are they? And our irony of it is every generation wants to break the social mores and do something radical. Every generation in every culture has done this. We're well on our way to the end of a culture, as we can see in Roman culture all through history. Cultures that get to this point don't survive. We're no longer free. We're slaves to sin. And the more we sin, the less we have any free, free will to do anything about it. We are still, the world is still made in the image of God, but it's defaced or marred. So there are, there are people who have a measure of truth and a measure of light, but it is, it is broken. It is crooked. The gospel is very good news, and so here's another big word. Before any of this happened, God had already had a solution, and it's called the Proto-Evangelium, which means prototype the first proclamation of the gospel came right at the right after the adam and eve sinned in genesis 3 it says i will put enmity he's talking to the snake now between you and the woman and i in between your offspring and hers he will crush your head do that and you will strike his heel 
There's no comparison to what Jesus does to the enemy. It's done. It's done. Just go ahead. Do that right. Just do it. It feels good. Just do it. You can just, like, put your foot down and, you know, you need to do it. It feels good. Because it's already won. It's already won. But I love that. That's the gospel. It says the gospel was preached to Abraham. The gospel was preached to Satan. As soon as he thought that he had done something greedy, Jesus says, no. I've already got the plan from beginning to end, like John says. It's all going according to plan. Don't freak out. Just keep in step with the Spirit. It's all going according to plan. And like Teresa said the other night, the light looks brighter in the darkness. Your headlights don't work at twilight, but they will look really clear and bright at midnight. Right? The gospel's very good news. God always had a plan to redeem mankind. Genesis 3.21, after he deals with um, Adam and Eve, and there's absolutely far-reaching consequences. The whole earth suffers. Everything goes into a state of being, in a need of being reconciled. A state that needs to be reconciled. When Christ died on the cross and rose again, he did that. He did it, but not everybody knows That's where we come in. Not everybody knows. Jesus did it. They don't know this stuff. You guys are so brilliant. You have so much to give away. You're carrying, you got a truckload of good news. And all, you know, you you pull up to the distribution center. God downloads all this stuff that's Jesus. And you just give it away. You just deliver it. You just distribute it. When after Adam and Eve sinned, something died. Do you remember what it was? Mm-hmm. It, it, Genesis 3.21, suddenly after they ate the fruit, what happened? And they found out they were? they weren't bothered by that they lived in innocence before that running around in there all together was was cool they were good but suddenly because of sin entered in they're not comfortable with that anymore and they've got shame and so something dies god has to kill an animal and god takes an animal and that animal becomes a substitution something died and he became a sacrifice that animal shed his blood And his skin was used to cover their nakedness. Already, Jesus was being pictured. This is a type of of what was coming. That something, the wages of sin is death. There's going to be bloodshed. And so Jesus, God takes the animal and kills it. Its blood is shed, and he covers the men, and he sends them out of the garden. He sends them out of the garden and he blocks the garden so they will not eat from the tree of life and remain perpetually in their sinful state, in the mercy of God. So Jesus comes, and we have all of that Old Testament story of people's crookedness, God's redemption and sacrifice through animals, and all the very, very detailed um, uh, plan of how to pay for sacrifice these perfect Um, lambs without blemish or spot so christ comes as a perfect holy sacrifice and gives his blood 
and makes substitution, takes our place. And bring satisfaction to meet the requirements of a holy God. Romans 1 starts with the wrath of God. The wrath of God is satisfied only in Christ. I wouldn't want to meet the wrath of God. I don't want to meet a bad storm. But the wrath of God, I can't even imagine. I think when we realize a number of these things, it just, it, it, it should sober us. It should sober us because I think sometimes I don't have the amount of compassion that I need when I'm rubbing shoulders with people who are quite literally the walking dead. And God loves them. Christ died for, for everyone. So we need faith. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Of course, this is Jesus speaking. And he will not be judged, but he has crossed over from death to life. Colossians says that we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. The very first thing God did in Genesis 1, what was it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's the first thing he did? He said, let there be light, and he separated light from darkness. This imagery goes throughout the Old and New Testaments, right to the end, where God comes and lives with the people, Emmanuel, and he is the light. There is no need of sun or moon. And did you see there was night and day before there was a sun and a moon? The sun isn't what makes it day. It's just a, mark in, it's just a marker in the sky. God is the light. Jesus is the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says to his followers, you are the light of the world. You are the people who bring the light in the spirit. Right? So, so that light imagery is so, so amazing. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> it's things that we don't typically gravitate to in reading. The thing that was amazing to me as I was looking at this was we always think of the Apostle John as the Apostle of love. Read First John. It's a lot about sin. And I think it's so funny where we have these impressions of, you know, God is love, and he is. But in his love, he chose to let people make choose to love him or not and um, love doesn't you know make make things happen it allows things so there is a need for preaching and witnessing um, not everybody preaches but we can all witness and um, I loved the other night at, at Wednesday night group where um, we were talking about well how do we interact with new people if they're very needy and they have overwhelming things and we don't know what to do tell your story Tell your story, what Christ has done for you. When the guy with the, all the demons, the legion of demons, gets saved, and he wants to follow Jesus, and he wants to go with him, that's all he knows is, uh, like Mary Magdalene and the Chosen, I once was this way, and now I'm this way. And what happened in between was Jesus, right? And so Jesus says to the guy, 
No, go home and tell everybody what, what God has done for you. All he has is his story, and it's all he needs. Nobody can argue with your story. Nobody can argue with your story. My, I've, I've told it a million times, like how God healed my mom and saved my dad and changed our family. That's my story. That's my origin story, you know? That's where we, well, you have a story of how God came in and did something in your life. Tell the story. Witness. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So we've got a whole generation, a couple generations, of people who are not schooled in uh, biblical thinking or any kind of truth, biblical truth at all. Zero, no foundation, no base. So because our, most of our culture is so agnostic and there is no God, so it doesn't matter if you rip babies out of mothers' bodies. It doesn't matter if you, you know, take old people out. It doesn't matter if you take out the handicapped because there's no consequence if there is no God. This is the most important thing that we can testify to people is there is a God and I know him and he's changed my life my life was miserable I was on a treadmill I would have knocked myself out and killed myself I probably would have taken my own life if I'd continue the way I was headed and most of you have a similar story you know it's the same things on repeat in different circumstances but the themes are the same you have a story to share and you have a story to, to meet people and say before Christ, my life was a mess. Or maybe your life wasn't a mess, but you didn't have peace. How many people need peace right now in their hearts? So how are they going to hear unless someone tells them uh, without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? The Holy Spirit. Um, no one can come to Christ unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so, I mean, this is what we're praying, right? Is, Lord, uh, we, do, we do our work. We sow the seed. God, you prepare the soil. You prepare hearts. You, you send us to those who are ready. I love the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. He knew exactly where he had to be, where he had to go, and what he had to say to meet a woman. And then he did no miracles in her, in her village. He did no miracles it was completely on the testimony of a promiscuous woman who got immediately turned around and became a follower of Christ and said, come and see, come and see, come and see. No miracles, just the word of a testimony. It's powerful. A changed life is powerful. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There's a, a lot of a lot of uh, false teaching, false theology that, that basically says, you know, just, just believe the tenets of the faith. Well, the tenets of the faith are going to become more and more uh, foundational. The fundamentals of the faith. John and I were talking about this the other night. We need to know what they are. We need to be able to, you know, at least talk about them a little bit, know some scriptures to point people to, and point people to the word of God. Glorification. I don't think very many people think about this, but the Bible, the New Testament talks a fair bit about the fact that um, we will be glorified. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called or invited, it could also be translated invited, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The God who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's going to be glorious. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, God, there's like so many people I would like to spend quality time with. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but they're in Christ, so we've got all eternity. It'll be good. Like we get to, you know, we can do, I don't think we're doing coffee, but we'll do something, right? There's people, we'll be able to spend time with, with the family of God. And I, I don't know, heaven is going to be so unimaginably glorious like, we will just go, why did we ever doubt? Why didn't I live, like, 300% to bring the kingdom of God? Because when I'm getting there, when I get there, I'll just be like, this is so mind-blowing. We could not have imagined. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store for those who love him. It's going to be amazing. And we get a foretaste of it with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now. But it ain't nothing. Keith Green, my, my, my buddy Keith Green, when I came to Christ, it was Jesus and Keith. And Keith says, this is like living in a garbage dump compared to what's coming, right? This is the earth under the curse. This is the fallen. So wrapping up, Ephesians 3, uh, 20 and 21. I think this is probably Kevin Chisholm's favorite verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably. Immeasurably. You can't measure it. Uh, more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work in him. In us. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory, be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. We are his body. If the head is glorious, the body is going to be glorious. And some of these, some of these things, um, I think just as, as we go along as a community, as a church, as a fellowship, we're going to just address some very, very foundational stuff. Try not to go to sleep. It's exciting stuff. It's amazing stuff. The basic gospel is where the power of God is because it's the true gospel. People are, are needing their ears tickled, and everybody's trying to come up. You know, big-name preachers often are looking for something new to say, a new twist on something, and God says, tell the old, old story of Jesus and his cross, Right? So let's pray. We'll turn some lights back on. And, um, and if you need prayer for anything, and this is, you know, we, we are a family. We are a family. And, you know, we're, we want to be a safe place for everybody and to find wholeness, to find healing. If you need, you need something, if you've got a perpetual sin that is, is just dragging you down, it's ruining your life, if you got thought a thought life that needs major revision, there are people here to help you. It's, it's Holy Spirit who's here to help you. But it's so good to have the body, isn't it? It's so good. And, it's, and the enemy tries to keep us in darkness and say, you're the only one. Don't tell anybody because they'll think poorly of you. That's such a lie. Basic human nature. We all got problems. We all got stuff. And God wants to rid us of the stuff that we can be healers, wounded healers, healing, being healed, and giving it out. You don't have to be perfect before you can give it away. 
You don't have to be perfect before you can give it away. What you've got, somebody needs. So come on up, uh, pray for people, be prayed for. And you know what? This is, this is what Jesus said would happen is that they will know we are Christians by our love. You know, not our judgment, not our and whatever, whatever else it looks like, right? By our love for one another. God's doing a good thing, right? So thankful. Be thankful for one another. It's a hallmark of the Apostle Paul. Be thankful for one another. If you start thanking God for everybody, your problems are going to fall away one by one. Let's pray. So, Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you that you had a plan before Adam ever and Eve ever made uh, that choice that we would have made the same thing where, where it's human nature. Uh, we always think the grass is greener on the other side until we learn that we fell into a deep, deep hole, a big trap that we can't get ourselves out of. Thank you that you do that for us. Thank you for grace. Thank you that you made this incredible gift available to us, and all we have to do is believe it. Who wouldn't want to believe it when we understand the implications of what you're inviting us into? Fellowship with the God of the universe, a loving Heavenly Father, a God who works all things together for good for us, who loves us, who fills us with peace, who gives us grace, who gives love in our hearts, who causes forgiveness to flow, God who restores us, who gives us innocence again. Lord, who takes all that was broken, all that was crooked, and makes it whole again. That you fit us for heaven, that you're starting this incredible work. Because you have to spend all eternity with us, so I think you'd like to see us a little, you know, shaped up. So God, thank you that you do that by your Holy Spirit. You're conforming us to the image of your glorious Son. And it's an amazing work. We're so privileged to, that our eyes have been opened and that we said yes and we received Christ and that we were born again by the Spirit and we were made new. Lord, fill us afresh with your Spirit. Fill us afresh with your Spirit. And God, do incredible things for your glory in and around us in this community, even as we, we uh, see this Jesus Revolution movie coming, God. May it be something that marks the town that they will say before and after. Something happened. Something happened in hearts. Lord, we, we, we don't want to tell you what to do. God, you know. You know. But, Lord, we're looking to you. We're looking to you. We're looking to you to build your kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, come on.